the name! And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. Finishes off in style. I was, I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes long. Oh, you right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello and welcome to The Wrongen. I'm Bertie Moores. Hi, Bertie. I'm Ollie. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> And Hi Bertie, I'm Satch. <laughs> Hi Bertie, Matt here. Oh Matt's here, that's, uh, that's good to know. Uh, we're always uh, on the ball. Quick question Satch, are you okay now? I'm, I'm better than I was yesterday. I, I was feeling a bit emotionally drained all day yesterday. I, I spent all of yesterday kind of staring into the distance thinking about what happened in the morning. But I'm a little bit... A little bit better today. What was it a big uh, a big night on the sesh? Just uh, you and your and you and your family in Liverpool. What watch watching the game or after the game? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I mean, watch watching the game. I was on my own all night, watching it downstairs and on the sofa. And then my mum came to join me to watch the winning runs. She was getting <laughs> like up for a work. Glory hunter. Yeah, exactly. She wasn't <laughs> she wasn't hardcore like me watching it all night, living on Brisbane time for the uh, for the pleasure of watching India win. But to place ourselves back in Brisbane, India have secured possibly one of the greatest series wins of all time in one of the greatest tests ever with an absolutely, on paper, piss-poor team. (laughs) How do you soak all that in, Satch? Well, mate, let's just say it's going to be embarrassing for you lot when England get beat by India's piss-poor India B. But... um, yeah, I mean, it was. It has to go down as one of the best Test series victories in all, of all time. It's we all know Australia's home record is formidable, especially when they've got a very, very good team. I mean, they're the full strength team, and you know the bowling attack, as we said before, is excellent in home conditions. The batting lineup is, I mean, in hindsight now is a bit weak, but they have got an all time great batsman in Smith and potentially another one to come in in Marnus Labuschagne. So to take down a full strength Aussie side in Australia with a decimated team, one that's missing the top seven international bowlers, the captain and best batsman, and a couple of other mid-order batsmen. It is incredible. I don't know what else to say about it. It is incredible. There's, to overcome all the adversity that we've overcome, I can't think of an example of a team doing that in the past. I mean, teams have gone over to Australia and won, but they've had full-strength sides. They've had all-time great sides. You know, one like the England team in, in the early 2010s that summed Australia in Australia. That, they were a fantastic side. So, for us to do it with our B team, our C team, whatever you want to call it, was something special, really. So that's to what extent, you know, I don't want to take anything away from India, obviously. To what extent was it India being outstanding and to what extent, or to, or, and or, to what extent was it, was it Australia bowling pretty poorly and having a feeble batting lineup? And when it comes to Australia's bowling, I, I think Pat Cummins is an all-time great series. His numbers from the series are incredible. I mean, the control he bowls with, he makes he makes Glenn McGrath look like Mitchell Johnson circa. He bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. Josh Hazelwood, again, I, I, you know, even if he had off innings, I think you could pair them in tandem. You know, if one of them had a great innings, the other one, sorry, if one of them had a poor innings, the other one would have turned up with a fantastic, fantastic figures. So the weak links were Mitchell Stark, who did look a bit off through the series. I think, I think uh, the start was Siraj, maybe took more wickets this series than Mitchell Stark did, which is quite funny given that he only played three test matches and is not a world-class bowler like Mitchell Stark supposedly is. And the big disappointment is probably Nathan Lyon that, you know, 
he's so experienced. He's got a great record in Australia, caused a lot of bats and problems, but just seemed to couldn't couldn't seem to do it against India. Um, so bowling wise, I, I I still think I still think there's enough there bowling wise for to say that. It was it was it was very good, it was a very good bowling lineup. Whether some of them underperformed or not, the batting lineup is feeble, as 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 we have discussed. But Smith and Manus again are, are so good that they do some somehow compensate for the rest of the batting lineup. So I think India have. I think it's been said a lot in the media. It's been an outstanding team effort, an outstanding squad effort. They've out strategized Australia in a lot of places. They've probably been more patient. They've made as many mistakes, I think, and I think. Largely in, in 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 the key moments, they've just played better. There's been some inspired innings along the way, especially from Richard Pant, that have contributed to the result. But I think you have to give credit to India, to be honest. Let's rewind back to start of the fifth day. We were all sort of tuckered up in bed, BT Sport. Well, you were. I went. <laughs> well, I suppose, but our body clocks haven't been completely ruined by a, by an Antipodean series like yours. <laughs> Uh, all of us, uh, late into the night on the laptop, thinking, oh, we had a pretty decent start here, India, but ah, they wouldn't do it again, would they? And I had it on for about most of the first session, and I was like, right, got work to do tomorrow, pack it in, but put on the commentary. And I seem to have some sort of, like, kind of dream feed of, like, odd bits coming through, like a half dream of of 20 runs coming off and over from Shub- Shubman Gill and then little bits coming like, oh, well, their run rate's dropped a little bit. They're not going to get close. And then about 6am, I just wake up to a shed load of messages off a certain subject <laughs> going, boys, you've got to wake up. You've got to wake up. You've got to get up. And I've just got this image of you just sat all night, absolutely sort of high as a kite. That's exactly what I was. I was glued all night. Yeah, I mean, I think you said before the start of the day, didn't you, Beth, on the group message that India all out for 180 or something? And uh, you know, you'd be like, I'm afraid to say India all out for 180. I think when you say in there, you know, could they do it again? When you say again, I think we all mean, could they save the test match again? Could they salvage a draw? Could they bat out the day? Maybe with a bit of help from rain. Um, no rain came in the end. But, you know, I, I, you know, I was sat there like, oh, I just hope we can bat out the day. I hope we can save the test match. I wasn't thinking about the win at all. I was like, this, it, it can't happen, surely. Now, you know, and then throughout the day, it was like, you know, Pajara's batting well, he's saying solid, I think we can salvage a draw, I think we can salvage a draw. You know, Shubman Gill started getting going, it was like, oh, is the, is the win on? Maybe it is. Then he got out, I was like, no, let's just salvage a draw, let's let's not get too cocky here. Remember, we didn't need to win that test match. A draw was as good as a win for India, not just because of the circumstances and whatnot, you know, you could say, given everything that had happened, a draw was a fantastic result, but from the point of view of the, oh, the Gavaskar Trophy as well, a draw was fantastic. We did not need to win that test match. And, you know, I, I, I was, you know, clearly I've not got the balls for it. I, I was sat there all the time watching, thinking, let's just, let's just settle for the draw. I can't, I can't bear to watch us go for the win and maybe lose. And in hindsight, watching that match now, I'm thinking, I think those young lads from the very start knew they were going for the win. They knew from the start. It wasn't like me thinking, oh, let's just bat out and then maybe see what happens in the last 20 years. They were going for it from the start and thought, it doesn't matter, we'll deal with the consequences if we lose this game, but we're going for it. We're going to try and get this win. Which I think that was the most impressive part of the victory for me. It's not the it's not the fact that we won. It was the manner in which it was done. It was stone cold. It was calculated. It was planned for from the start by a bunch of twenty one year olds and twenty three year olds. It was so perfectly judged at every single beat. Obviously, I was asleep for the middle session, but you can sort of tell from the scorecard and the match write ups 
the exact passage of play throughout the day. But I thought there was a quote from Rishab Pant that really seemed to like underline that, that you just said. And he said, after the game, the team management always backs me and tells me, you are a match winner and you have to go win the match for the team. He's coming in well down the line, but his focus is going in and getting 90 at four and over ultimately. And every single person in that team in that batting lineup, has performed their job to an absolute T to allow that final push to happen. Do you know what's interesting that Richard Pant says that? Because I actually I actually think he's covering for the team management there. I don't think he I don't think that's true. See, Richard Pant's in his early career, the last 23, remember. I can't remember many Indian cricketers or cricketers getting as much stick as he's got from management, from media, from teammates in terms of the way he plays and you know shot selection being poor etc etc and it's interesting if you watch the post-match speech by Ravi Shastri in the dressing room the congratulatory speech he says to Rishi Panyo congratulations played well etc etc but you still gave us heart attacks watching the match you know there's still that undertone that Rishi Pant takes too many risks etc etc and I, I think rather than giving credit to the management and saying go out and do what you do I think Rahani's probably said that, but management in general hasn't. I think you've got to give credit to Richard Pant for going out there and playing his game and saying, do you know what, if I fail, I'll take that responsibility on my shoulders, as he's done in the past, and he has failed in the past, and he's took the responsibility. He's gone out there with a clear head and said, do you know what, I'm going to play my game. If it comes off, then I'm a hero. If it doesn't come off, I'll live with the consequences and I'll go again. And to have that mentality and to have that drive at that age, it's 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 incredible to watch. Absolutely incredible. You know, the lads, you can tell the lads being forged in the cauldron of the IPL and it's translating on the international stage. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary the whole Rishad Pan. I mean, he was under a lot of pressure. Let's face it, he had a bad series with the gloves. Um, mm-hmm. If he hadn't scored runs um, in those two crucial innings, there'd have been calls to drop him from the side. So for him to step up in that moment and maybe not risk it all, but I don't think he'd have been picked for the next series had he not scored those runs in that final innings. I thought it was pretty extraordinary. It is, uh, like like I said, that ties in what I was saying, Matt. He, he's constantly played his career with an axe over his head, his India career. And that's why, you know, you've got people like Ben Jones, you've got a few of the Twitter analysts on, on Twitter giving it large all the time about Richard Pant saying India mismanaged him and, you know, he's a generational talent. And, and he is, you know, I, th- I think they sometimes go a bit far, but to do what he's done with that axe hanging over his head is, is it's, it's extraordinary. Like the pressure he's under at that age without the experience simply stunning I'm not, I, I can't remember like I said I can't remember the last time an Indian batsman has done so much at such, such, such a young age with so much criticism, criticism flying his way uh, quickly looking forward there uh, obviously the India team squad sorry has been uh, released for the England series that's coming up next do you think that uh, Saha and Pant play in that does Pant get the gloves then you just play as a batsman how can you see that playing out I mean I'm not Indian team management by any stretch what I would do personally is I would play Saha with the gloves. I think he needs to play with the gloves because it is spin reliant. And I, I, I like Matt says, I just don't think Richard Pan's keeping his up, up to up to standard at the moment, especially against spin. But by the same token, Richard Pant has to play as a batsman at least. He's in there after after the innings he's played there, after the performances he's played. I don't know how you can drop him. I don't know if you boys agree with that, but I, I think he's got to play. So if nothing else, he slots in at six. If he's not keeping them, Saha keeps and Saha keeps at seven. I think we've got enough bat and depth in India for us to play both of them. And, you know, then the Indian management needs to decide if, if they are going to play Saha, did he play five bowlers or did he play four? 
Jadeja is out. I think I don't. I didn't see his name on the squad. So you know, if if they decide to go with five bowlers, you know, they might go with Hardik Pandey as a, as a bowler, fifth bowler, or they might go with more likely because they need the extra spin option. They might go with maybe Kuldeep Yadav or Washington Sundar. So if they go with Washington Sundar, I think they can. They might see a bit more batting depth there anyway, provided by him. So which would allow us to play Saha a bit more comfortably. So I'm interested to see what team we put out, to be honest. I think there's a lot of permutations and um, it will maybe depend on the conditions. If we take the focus slightly off Pant, because we, we spoke so much about him last week, and look at all the other youngsters who's involved in the game, you just look down the scoreboard and the, and the batting lineup, or the, or the entire lineup from 1 to 11. Every single player in that team, other than Navdeep Saini, who had a slightly off test, every single player turned up and did their job and did even more. Like the youngsters that are coming in, we're not just talking about Pant here, we're talking about Shubman Gill, who's hit a classy, classy 91 on a fifth day pitch at the Gabba when, okay, Cummins said in his post-match interview, the ball didn't do as much as we sort of wanted it to. It, the cracks weren't quite playing off, but it was the highest ever run chase at the Gabba and he teed that off, saw off the new ball and scored runs. Washington Sunder and Charlotte Thacker, they both scored half centuries in the first innings and Pant. That's four young players coming in with the bat who've hardly played any tests and completely blown the Australian bowling line apart the water. And ultimately, to win a test, you've got to take 20 wickets. And Siraj has taken five for 73 in the second innings. Uh, Thakur has taken four for 61. Every single one of those young players came in and turned up. To be honest, I, I think for me, the, the biggest surprise of that test is that we took 20 wickets. I mean, I remember saying on the group message before it started that I could see Australia scoring 500, 600 here and just absolutely grinding us down completely because you know it's it's the Gabba it's got the it's got the reputation it's a good bat, bat and track if you get in as a batsman and our bowling lineup had a combined test wickets total of 13 or something like that something silly and yeah I mean we had Mohamed Siraj playing his third test Navdeep Saini playing his second Shadul Thakur who was basically on debut because in his first test he bowled 10 balls and went off injured Saini went off injured in this match as well so you know that's the reason why you know he did hardly bowled in the first innings and then was completely off in the second Washington Sundar as the as the as the spinner who's bowled again playing his first test. That for me is the biggest achievement. You know, the, the batting lineup is still fairly strong because of our strength and depth in batting, as we've discussed. But to take twenty wickets at the Gabba with that bowling lineup against against Australia, that is, I think, that's the biggest achievement of this match. To be honest, in my opinion, it's a really good article in the Telegraph today talking about how it's almost frightening for the rest of world cricket that India have won this test because it just sort of shows the indicators of the fact that India could go on and completely dominate test cricket going into the future like with with a with a large population with a large growing middle class and an awful lot of money in the game it's an absolute talent factory and if India's basically we've been calling it their third string have won this test and drawn the previous one. It almost feels like this is sort of a really ominous omen for the rest of the rest of the cricketing world that ultimately you are not going to be able to compete with the depth that this Indian side can offer for years and years. That might be a little bit out there. No, I, th- I think it's a fair point. Again, 
the watershed moment for me of this test is not the fact that we've won this match with a second string or a third string. You know, sometimes you, you could imagine that people get excited. You know, you might get like a team that's hyped up on an adrenaline, a second team who's winning a match and probably a bit like a headingly where England were nine down and Stokes won the match, but it was all very skittish and quite giddy and everybody's riding the wave of of, of excitement. It, for me, the watershed moment that's made the world realise just how scary this is, is again, it was the manner in which it was done. It wasn't skittish. It wasn't giddy at any point. It was calculated from the start and, you know, all of us sat at home were thinking they surely can't be going for the win. They knew from the start and they executed to perfection. That's the scariest part of it. And you know, I've I've said to I've said to you boys before, India should have India should be dominating world cricket. They should have been dominating it for the past thirty years with the the strength and well, with the population they've got and the money they've got. There's too much structural inefficiency in Indian cricket and you know, still a lot of poor administration, although it's getting better. And that's hindered us. If we can get that side of the game right, if we can get a structure in place that is as good as England and as good as Australia from a efficiency point of view. India would wouldn't be beaten for the next, you know, X amount of years. I know the, the lads of the grade cricketer said, you know, it's the Asian century and we're not going to beat India for the next three three centuries consecutively. It sounds like exaggeration and it is to some extent, but the point is valid. If India can sort themselves out from an administration point of view, they wouldn't be beaten. How could they be? They've got so many players, quality players. They've got strength and depth. They've got astronomical amounts of money. It wouldn't be a fair game. And I think it's important to also point out that the likes of the lads at the Caribbean Cricket Podcast have been saying in a way which us and other English podcasts and other English supporters have been saying Test Cricket in a way is actually a broken game in many ways in that it's enormously unequal anyway and we know the big three dominate it. But I think this is the moment where England and Australia begin to even see that India will be the ones that will are very likely to even break away from that three and just in a way form a league of their own. Yeah, and I think, like I said, that that was the that was the watershed moment for the rest of the world. It's made made the rest of the world realise just what the strength and depth in India is like. And you know, it's the fearlessness of the team that is incredible. You know, everyone talks about the Gabba being so scary and Australia's reputation. I think some of these twenty one year olds lads like Shubman Gill and Washington Suns are thinking. The Gabba, I'm not scared of the Gabba. They play at the, in the try, IPL every year. Well, exactly. Try try a packed house at the Eden Gardens in the IPL. Then then come back to me with the Gabba. I, I genuinely think that's the mentality these lads have got because they've grown up in that in that cauldron. Like I said, why is anything else going to scare them? When you've played at the fifty yard boundaries of Sharjah for a season, nothing can scare you. <laughs> with no fans, <laughs> I do. I think the point you make there, Satch, is is the one I'd make and almost caveat. India's performance by also saying, you know, these young lads who did tremendously well to effectively win in, in India the game also did have nothing to lose. You know, and I, I do think it, to some extent it's important that we go, don't get too carried away with India because, you know, they had three or four players that had a tremendous match and a tremendous series by all means. But similarly, India, uh, sorry, Australia, a, a one middle order batsman and an opener, arguably away from being equally a tremendous test side I think it does worry me slightly us getting a too carried away with India being outstanding which they obviously are in there and there's so much depth in that India side and it's very exciting Similar, and similarly there's a lot of uh, flat going the way of Australia saying they, they can't back up all their chat and, and this but you know it's, the game changes quickly it's very fickle 
And I, it only takes a series or two for all that to change. I do agree with what a lot of what you're saying there, Ollie. In that, in I, I, I for one agree we shouldn't get too carried away with India. I mean, like I said, there's still a lot negative going on behind the scenes that we need to take care of. And I wouldn't get too negative about Australia either. They are, as you say, one one batsman, maybe two batsmen away from being an outstanding Test team with the bowlers they've got. What I do disagree with there is what you said about you know those young lads have nothing to lose. Again, I don't think that was the mentality they went with. But if you if you got with the mentality of nothing to lose, you might be like might play some risky shots and you might try luck and sometimes it comes off. I don't think it was that. I genuinely think they've gone out with the mentality of we're going to win rather than there's nothing to lose. It was that calculated from the start. Shubman Gill and Richard Pant especially and Sunder, they knew what they were doing from the start. And that for me is the scary part. I think it's less to do with, oh, this team will dominate world cricket now. It's not that. It's more the feeling that you watch this team and you go, bloody hell, India has the potential for a ridiculous talent pipeline over the next few decades. And that it's just a feeling of where that Indian side, if channeled correctly and by the governing bodies and, and by the money that the sport generates, it will be just a, a sort of complete titan going forward in the future. I don't think it's as much India are now going to win every test for the next decade. It's not that. We know there's still issues in the Indian test team and stuff that needs to be ironed out. Yeah, I I don't think the talent is scary. I don't think talent's ever been India's problem. But I think the IPL system is almost streamlining this talent. It's almost bypassing the whole first-class bureaucracy of Indian cricket that they used to be and almost fast-tracking this talent where to a, to a place where basically, I mean, India picked a lot of the kind of reserves on this tour from the IPL. Washington Sundar's barely played any first-class cricket. Like, mm-hmm. like, the, the whole first-class system that is kind of riddled with these inefficiencies is almost being bypassed for this talent highway that is the IPL. So I think that's the scary thing that the Indian administration seems to be getting it together or bypassing it through the IPL. Scary as in scarily good. Yeah, yeah. Scarily good. Not, not. I'm a scared Englishman who's never going to see England win a test against India again. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely bang on there, Matt, with, with what you've said. And we... Well, in, Indian Indian fans know that the the first class system is riddled with inefficiency, and there's a lot of nepotism involved. And you know, historically, it's always been very Mumbai centric. For example, the IPL has been a massive a massive um, highway, as you say. It, it bypasses a lot of these inefficiencies. And the other name I'd like to mention, and that is a big contributing factor to this as well, is MS Dhoni. MS Dhoni himself is probably the first big big name Here to come are. out of. Of a cricket and backwater and make it as as a, as a legend of Indian cricket, and he, one of his biggest legacies in Indian cricket is the fact that he took away a lot of that out outside noise, the invasive presences of the media and the nepotism, and he's given chances to the lads from the backwaters of Indian cricket to do well. I mean, Rishabh Pant is from he's from a fair fair distance away from Delhi. He's not from Delhi. There's Natarajan who's from from Chennai, I think, from a small village in Chennai. Shubman Gill is another one. He comes from a small village in Punjab. Shardul again, his dad was a, a, a driver, I think, or I think it was Navdeep Sen, his dad was a driver. A lot of these lads who stood up, there's, there's a great blog on, online, I'll try and find it. But a lot of these lads, I think there was seven of them in the team, a lot of, uh, the young lads and the debutants, they come from quite modest backgrounds. They're not from your traditional Indian cricket pedigree, let's say. And the IPL and MS Dhoni, the, the changes he implemented, but again, mainly the IPL, they've made it possible for these lads to get to the Indian team and 
put in performances like that. So what's MS Stoney done exactly? Like I said, so he's he took away a lot of that bureaucracy. There was a big culture shift from his predecessors as a captain to when he became captain. You know, a, a lot of the time in Indian cricket, it was about who you knew in the media. And if you could curry favour in the media, they would say nice things about you in the media and the selectors would therefore look on you more favourably. He took away a lot of that outside invasive presences and said, no, we're going to start looking, we're going to start casting the net further. We're going to start, um, we're trying to make Indian selection more of a meritocracy and less Mumbai-centric and less media-centric. And, you know, it's paid dividends massively in you know, 10 years on from when he took over properly. Um, you can see the effect that it's had. Australia, however, it's amazing how how quickly things can change over 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 three tests. I mean, we re- rewind back to the first test, bowled India out for 36, and people aren't giving India absolute cat and hell's chance because why would they have been bowled out for 36? It's been a very poor series for them and it's exposed a sort of quite a few fairly obvious shortcomings in their lineup. They've basically got four players who've played very well, Marnus, Smith, Cummins and Hazelwood. And around that has sort of been a very wishy-washy setup, but particularly with the bat, they've been so reliant on the runs of Smith and Labashain. Is this series sort of really begun to show up those shortcomings, Matt? I think in the batting department, definitely. I mean, even talking about that first test, they were bowled out for 191. They were saved by Hazelwood and Cummins being absolutely world-class. So, I mean, the batting was never there. I think David Warner at the top of the order not being in any form is a real loss to them. And you could see him throughout the series. He was just searching. He played so many bad shots and got out driving at wide balls, just searching for a bit of form. And Steve Smith was out of form, uh, which you don't don't see very often. But yeah, when Steve Smith isn't scoring big tons for them, they don't score runs. Um, to be honest, their best batter this series was Tim Payne, my old mate. Um, who, <laughs> big call, yeah. that, Matt. That's a huge call. Are you going to elaborate on that? <laughs> we'll learn in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, Tim Payne averaged 40 in the series. Uh, yeah, they're just short of four batters when Warner's Warner's not making runs at the top of the order. Um, and this series really, those deficiencies deficiencies showed up. I think Let's Warner was it. a big loss for them because the, the guy averages nearly 70 in home tests in Australia. When, when you're lacking that, then you're lacking that sort of tone-setting innings from Warner at the top of the order that Australia really built on in the past. I think it was as well the way he got out in a lot of those tests. It was just searching. It was really anticlimactic. Like you want David Warner to go out there and set the tone and he didn't really. He just kind of pushed it a few wide ones and then tried to play a big drive and mm. nicked off quite a lot. And it was just very, that almost set the tone in the wrong way um, for a lot of those innings. Mm. Yeah, I think, well, the, the great cricketer mentioned it as well. It's interesting. We've just talk, been talking about India and the first class domestic system. I think Australia similarly, they haven't really had a shield season that has enabled uh, any batsmen to put their hands up necessarily obviously Green's come in and looked the part he's not necessarily uh, set the world like but looks like he's going to be part of that Australia side for for a long time but the Big Bash being on at the same time or having been on at the same time as this series means there's not really been an opportunity for anyone to say you know I might be a slightly left field selection but but I'm worth taking a punt on especially considering that Wade's not been in great form coming into it and and was obviously not uh, done a lot in this series Head's not 
scored a lot of runs lately. So again, administratively, I suppose a lot of boards are tied between whether to to chase this cash cow of franchise cricket, um, which arguably gets eyes, eyeballs on the game. But similarly, are you looking more for success in your, your international team, um, which could have the same effect? So it's a difficult one to, to balance, I suppose. And this is a story that we've brought up with virtually every major cricketing nation uh, around the world, to be honest. like It, it affects all teams. Uh, but in the case of Australia's series as a whole, you look at the 36 that they bowled out India for, and in a way, that reflects well on them. But the fact that they were actually sort of bailed by that 36 innings, in effect, sort of shows that over the course of the series... They really did deserve to lose it. And that 36 very much cast a big shadow on that first test in that they were second best for a lot of it at the same time. And when it's come to the two crunch moments in the third and fourth test, they've not been able to bowl out India when they've got a big lead and had more than a day to do it. It's just been a poor series, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, like you said, the 36 masks a lot of Australia's deficiencies because, you know, one, it's given them a, a win. Like Matt said, actually, t- Tim Payne probably saved that test match for Australia, the first one at Adelaide, by, with his innings, to actually get Australia to some sort of parity. And then they blew India out 36 and won the game. But other than that period of maybe two sessions, three sessions, India were the better team in Adelaide as well and could, could well have won this series 3-0. Or four 0 you know. Sydney again was a draw that could be a win. I'm not getting ahead of myself. Like, if and we were saved... bowled at thirty six, we could have won. <laughs> well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But there's a lot, there's been a lot of workload for in Australia's quicks, for example, and I think that's been telling, especially in the second innings. They've looked tired. Patty Cummins is a superman. I don't know how he does what he does, but you can't rely on one man, especially a quick bowler, to do all the heavy lifting for you and one big thing they, they've still not really figured out is although he scored fewer runs this series how did he get Pajara out or how did he get him out quickly because I know runs is the major currency in test cricket but it's not the only currency the amount of balls he's faced and the amount of miles and the legs he's put into the fast bowlers cannot be underestimated and that's that's really hit Australia again for a second time this series and again, you know, it's not just India. If, if other teams come with one of those batsmen in the middle order, we can just bat time and keep occupying the crease and keep wearing out the fast bowlers. They're going to be causing a lot of problems. And I think that's something they really need to address. I don't know how they address it. I've got no idea, but it's something they need to look at, I think. i tell you the way uh, they might be able to get Pajara out is if uh, Pajara just decided to listen to any of the Aussie commentators, even on the fifth, <laughs> day, fifth day of the final test where he's batted really well throughout the whole series and just done his job. They're, they're still saying, oh, he really needs to be rotating the strike here. It'd be really worrying Shubman Gill at the other end, the fact that the fact that they're not getting any runs off him. It's like, just shut up. You just, you've seen this before. Yeah, it was particularly partisan commentary. I think uh, Satch, you had something to say about that as well. It, it frustrated all of us, didn't it? But not least you as, a, as an India fan. Um, yeah, I did, I did have a bit of an issue with it, Ollie. The Well, a pleasant surprise was Kerry O'Keefe this time round. He was very uh, very complimentary about the Indian team this time round, unlike the last series after his, after a couple of misdemeanours, which he got a lot of flack for from, from, from the Indian parts. But... Most of the irritation for me with the commentary this time around came with Pujara. As I spoke about on the last podcast, all the Aussie commentators could think about banging on about was he needs to show more intent, he needs to rotate the strike, 
He's putting pressure on the other players. It's nonsense. And again, like I said on the last podcast, it's frustration from the Aussie commentators. I think it's a bit like what I was just saying previously. I think they're as frustrated as the Australian team themselves in that they don't know what to do. They've got no idea what to do when it comes to Pajara. So the only thing they can think of is say, he needs to change his game so he gets out. They've got no, they've got no solution for it. And, you know, I, I would I would love to, for one just one of the commentators in the Australian contingent to sit down and say, do you know what? Actually, to be fair to him, the role that he's playing in the team and what he's allowing everybody else in the batting line to do means that let him, he should carry on the way he is. He's not doing anything wrong. But no, they had to keep going after him because he had nothing better to say. Out of all the batsmen who scored more than 250 runs in the series, none of them had a strike rate of less than 47 apart from Pajara, whose strike rate was 29, faced nearly a 1,000 balls, and he scored, I don't know, about only two-thirds the number of runs as Labashain. He faced more <laughs> balls than him. Look, as I've said before, he does the job that he needs to do. He allows the players like Pant and Gill and Rahane to score the runs that the team needs while he soaks up pressure on the other end and drives the Aussie bowlers into the ground. It's, I've got no problem with it. Dare I say... An Indian Joe Denley? <laughs> Just far more talented. Maybe not as good a fielder, to be fair. Or leg spinner. Leg spinner. <laughs> to be honest, he's Indian. He probably is. He just doesn't get to show it. Anyway, Matt, you've been limbering up Tim Payne, your favourite PR captain, who comes in, rehabilitates the image of the uh, Australian side, being full of nice blokes, uh, replete with his own Amazon propaganda series. Is he on his way out? And what have you got to say about him? What's been brewing? I mean, I really hope so, I have to say. Um, Tim Payne's whole career is pretty extraordinary, really. The bloke has held down a first-class job despite only scoring three tonnes in 16 years. For reference, that's the same number as Liam Plunkett and Chris Jordan. It's one fewer than Ravi Ashwin in test matches. Yeah, he was made captain of the Australian side basically because he was a half-decent bloke. And now it's turned out he's obviously not a half-decent bloke. (laughs) And his wicket-keeping's fallen off the rails. So to be honest, I hope there isn't a future for him because they've lost the nice guy image and he's not even a very good wicket-keeper. I mean, Matt, I'm I'm not not Tim Payne's biggest fan by any stretch of the imagination, but more for what he said to our Indian players. I've always backed him in in the sense that as a wicketkeeping purist that I am when it comes to test cricket, I think he's the best wicketkeeper in, in the land in Australia and therefore should be in the team. But, you know, his, his track record now is not looking pretty. He's lost two series against India at home. But who do you replace him with if he goes? On that note, we're all going to rise for a muted defence of Tim Payne. Now, this is primarily off the back of Jared Kimber's video on Tim Payne, which is, which is on YouTube. And there's the off-quoted statement that Tim Payne has the third best wicket-keeping average of any Australian wicket-keeper. Now, the stat in itself is sort of a bit meaningless because wicket-keepers for decades couldn't like bat at all. But I think there are some things which are fair to Payne. Potentially, this is the series that potentially ends him as captain and puts him back to being Tasmanian second-choice wicket-keeper. But a few things. He, like you said, he was one of their better batsmen in this series. He also, although it slightly boosts up his average a little bit, he also doesn't 
get out that often. The fact that he has a number of not outs in his uh, in his test statistics indicates that he's often part of important partnerships within games. He did wicket keep relatively poorly in the final couple of tests, but equally. The pressure that's coming from other players is quite weak, relatively. Like, Matt Wade hasn't been that good with the bat and he's not been on wicket-keeping duties. The pressure from outside from the likes of Alex Carey and Josh Philippi, if they were better batsmen, they would be the wicket-keepers. But because there's not such a sort of obvious replacement, that's why he's still there. And his performance in comparison to other wicketkeepers around the world, isn't sort of that poor. It's not as though he particularly underperforms in the world of wicketkeepers. It's just whether Australia sort of passed the need for the PR captain. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, part of my rant is based on not liking Tim Payne as a bloke. Um, I think the captaincy, he struggles with a bit. And I think... his teammates like him. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think the captaincy... Is, is an issue with him. I think having kept in captains myself, I, I found it horrendous. You can't concentrate on one or the other. You're always thinking about something else. And I think it's caught up with him this series. He's thinking about so many different things, which one-liners he's going to get out from that he's practiced the night before and, and getting scared as if someone has a clever comeback. Um, <laughs> and actually, they were getting... He actually had to do some capsing this series. While keeping, so I think he struggled with those two. So I think I think I think he will stay on as keeper. I don't know if he'll stay on as captain, and I wouldn't keep him on as captain. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt. All right, if 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 we all agree that Australia's keeping stocks are not great at the moment, and therefore Tim Payne should carry on, but is you know his captaincy's got to be reviewed. You know, you know, in Australia's probably annual now review that they have in cricket. He's presided over some well two series losses for Australia. In, in Australia against India, which isn't great. He presided over that Headingley Test match miracle that tactically he also, wasn't great. But but he was also there for a generally good performance in England for that series. He was, but like you say, I think you know maybe the time for the PR captain's gone. And I think Matt's point as well is is correct that wicket keeping and captain it catches up with you because there's so much to do. It you know shows how good that MS Tony was, doesn't it, Matt? But who again? Who have we got? Who have Australia got to replace Tim Payne? I know Travis Head was earmarked as potential replacement at one point, but he's out of runs and out of form as a batsman. David Warner, we know, is not allowed to take a captaincy position again. Steve Smith is was a, a good captain. I think he's quite tactically astute, and he would be available for captain and captaincy. But he's again, also but, he's also such a good batsman that a little bit like in the case with England and Root, it's like, do you make your best batsman captain? Is it is it a risk that's worth taking? It might just be that given the other options coming through, Payne for another 12 months might do the job. And I hate to bring it back to our old friend Joe Denley again, but there are certain <laughs> players there who have a certain time span in the side. They go in there and do their job and Denley came in for 12 months, played 15 tests, did the job, did it all right. People appreciated him for it. And then there was a feeling that there were enough players coming through to then replace him. I still feel that Payne has another 12 months in this spot for Australia to start to get a feel for a few of the youngsters coming in and then potentially lay off the uh, the responsibility to someone else. Don't get me wrong. I think, I think he will have 
another 12 months but whether that's right or not is is another matter and who replaces him afterwards like, I know we I, I, I don't buy into the the batsman thing with Steve Smith because he's batted fantastically as captain so I think he's capable of doing that but it depends whether he's the type of whether he's got that leadership aura and the gravitas about him to be Australian captain which I'm not convinced he does I mean the other name that was touted is Patty Cummins I don't know what you boys think about Patty Cummins as an Australian captain whether that's Fans a good idea don't like or not. bowlers as captain do they? No, for they some don't. reason they don't I think the reason that bowlers don't suit captaincy is because it's quite an awkward um, you know, transaction like when do I take myself off even though I'm mm. clearly the best bowler here like how do, how do you manage that and also I do think it's the thing of just let him be really good at what he does and he is really good at bowling so just let him do that one bowler who hasn't had as good a series though uh, our old friend uh, Gary the greatest hitting his 100th test the kind of Crowd drinking it in in one of Australia's most famous defeats. I have to say, a little bit of Schadenfreude going on, particularly when it's whenever he bowls. That's when you hear all the chat coming in. But it's, <laughs> it's been a very poor series for Nathan Lyon, not just in terms of his of his raw numbers. I mean, he's in four tests, he's taken nine wickets at at fifty five in a home series, <laughs> but also. The Indian spinners have outbowled him, really. Both uh, Jadeja and uh, and Ravi Ashwin have done far better. It's it's really sort of seemed to be a real sticking point that's held Australia back this series. I don't think Lyon bowled positive, posit- positively enough the whole series. I don't think that's partly down to the captaincy. But I don't think you can bowl to a f- four or five fields and hope to take loads of wickets in Australia. Once you've played a hundred tests or however many, then you have the right to dictate your own your own field. Is that is that not his field? Do you think that he's setting? He's dictating yeah. how he can bowl. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, whoever's setting the field, I just don't think they bowl positive positively enough. He almost was bowling to get wickets caught around the corner. It, it just seems a bit odd bowling kind of middle and leg and turning it to leg and having five fielders there. Do you know what's really interesting is how how defensive his fields were to Richard Pant on the last day. They, they had five men on the fence. To Richard Pant, I know he's I know he's a six hitter and likes to go for the shots, but if you're trying to win a game as Australia were, you don't you don't put five men on the fence to the Premier Spinner. That's it's incredible. Warney was going absolutely mental at one point. You know, sometimes when he just gets hold of something and he just doesn't shut up about it, and it can be a little bit irritating. There was one point when it was about Bruce Oxenford in like the first test and he just kept kept banging on about oh it's terrible, Bruce, that's terrible decision. Got a bit boring. But on the fifth day of the, of, the, of the final test, he's just like, why haven't they got a bat pad? I've, I've spoken to Lyon about this. We've sat and chatted about it. I said to him, you should have a, you should have a bat pad on, uh, on the offside. And then he did it in one test and it worked. And he said, oh yeah, I'm going to do that more. And he just kept going on and on and on. He was like, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing this? It seemed like a very sort of odd state of affairs. And it's very easy for us to sit at home and, and say, oh, they didn't do this correctly, didn't do that correctly. But, but yeah, there did seem to be some sort of odd field settings and nothing that sort of really was like, right, we're going to get him out, particularly in the case of Pajara, because they were like, he's got Pajara like that before, why isn't he putting him there? I will say that I thought India did play him really well. And we were chatting before the podcast at how well, pre- obviously, Pajara's um, previous average against spin is remarkable. And Sadhu was saying that before this, or you didn't think that he had played spin actually this well this test, but I still thought that he was so decisive in the way that he played against Lyon. Maybe I was a little bit harsh on Pajara that I said he wasn't playing as decisive as he normally does because 
because of the standard that I've seen Pujara play spin at, you know, especially in Indian test matches. I, I, you know, there's been whole innings of his where I've not seen him once have false footwork against the spinner. He's been that good. He's not looked even in the remotest danger of getting out. And I think maybe the fact that there were times where he, he did look a little bit shaky to Nathan Lyon in this test series that has contributed to my opinion that he's not been as decisive as he normally is. But I guess by normal standards, you know, by English standards that you might be more used to, Ollie, he was, you know, by all accounts, quite decisive still. And, you know, again, I think the Warney's rant about getting the back padding, you know, it has worked in the past, maybe in past series, but I don't think Nathan Lyons got Pajara out the series or he might have got him out once, but, you know, the back pads didn't really work either. He, he often he just, often Pajara skipped down the pitch and kicked him away. And I, I think it was just Warney clutching at straws out of frustration on commentary because, they, again, they didn't really know what to do. So, yeah, all in all, I think... Uh, it was a bit of a curious one with Nathan Lyon. He's had success against us in the past, but I think maybe we've maybe it's our young players this time, or maybe we figured out how to play him. But we did neutralise him, and you know, thank God we did. And then you have taken a famous victory. Let's have spilling the chai with Satch Agarwal. Well, how do India always be better than England? How do I get Vera to father my kids? Why are Punjab so bad? Spilling the chai with Satch. For those that don't re- don't sort of see behind the scenes, uh, the original plan was to uh, talk about England, but given that England finished a couple of days before, and we've spent about five years talking about India here, we thought, well, we might as well just finish off by talking about India. So, Satch, here's your question about the subcontinental cricket for this week. This is from Ella. And she's from Birmingham. Satch, given that Vera has gone back to India for the birth of his first child, and Rahane has taken over the reins so wonderfully, should Rahane keep captaining India? It's a very difficult one, Bertie. Um, look, he's got a fantastic record as Captain Rahane. And, you know, in a short captaincy career, but he's had some incredible results. He, you know, if, if I talk about them briefly, he captained... India in a test match against Australia in in India back in 2017. It was the last test of the series when Kohli was injured and India needed to win that match to win the series and take back the board the Gavaska trophy. And again, he captained fantastically well. India won the match and took the series back. And there was a lot of plaudits for Rahane after that match. I think he then captained against Afghanistan. It was an easy win in two days. Nothing really to say about that. And now he's captained three test matches in Australia against Australia with a weakened side and won those 2-0 with some stellar performances in there. It's definitely worth the question, is he a better captain than Virat Kohli? Tactically, I do think he's more astute than Kohli. I don't think Kohli is that good. He's improved, but I don't think he's brilliant as a captain. How do you quantify Uh, tactical astuteness? Because obviously, there's very much a vibe-based thing about being a captain. There's there's no averages you can look down on. I think a lot of it comes down to... I think Kohli goes defensive quite quickly. It, you know, he doesn't keep the foot on the throat as much as he should do. And, you know, it's often translated into us being poor against lower order batsmen in the tail. I think he often overuses bowlers a bit, you know, a bit like people talk about Joe Root using Joffre Archer as a new toy and being a bit excited with it. I think Kohli's not got his bowling changes right as much. Um, you know, he's maybe not trusted certain bowlers in the lineup as much as he should have done. So, you know, in that sense, I think there are facets of Cody's captaincy that have not worked as well as they could have done for India in the years. I think more what is quite interesting maybe about Cody's captaincy is, and I don't know the right answer to this, I just want to clarify, you know, I, I think he's a fantastic bloke, but is he more, is he a bit too overbearing in that dressing room? 
or is he a bit too much the overlord of Indian cricket? The, yeah, the, big, you know, the big, the big dog, the alpha male, the the dad as 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 the great cricket call it. You know, he wields a lot of power in the Indian setup. You know, he can he could begin or end an Indian batsman's or Indian bowler's career if he wanted to. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to envisage what it might be like in the Indian dressing room, especially before a, a game or, or a day like that, that day of test cricket we've just seen. Would someone like Kohli be incredibly overbearing? And, you know, you know, we know he's so emotionally fires up the team, but almost dictating to the players how they should play in that situation. Whereas I could imagine someone like Rahane saying, do you know what, lads? I trust that if you all play your natural games, including you, Pajara, including you, Richard Pant, including you, Shubman Gill, We'll win this game. So go and do what you think is best and we'll deal with it afterwards. Whereas Coley might have turned around to someone like Jara going, we want to win this match, go out and play your shots. Or to Richard Pans, we want to draw this match, go out and defend and, and dictate it to the players and maybe sowed seeds of doubt in their minds that you know ultimately wouldn't have given them the same freedom that Rahane did. Having that pumped up nature and being so aggressive is has been incredible for Indian cricket. I really do. I think in terms of bringing us on parity with England and South Africa and Australia, when it comes to that sort of naked aggression in the field and that pugnacious attitude has been fantastic. But there may be room now that, you know, now that India have established themselves, there may be room for someone a bit more like the Rahane who just lets the players do what they need to do rather than thinking it's his duty to drag everybody else up with him. I need to caveat this. I'm not I'm not saying he shouldn't be captain by any stretch of imagination. And I, indeed, I, he, we all know he is going to carry on as captain. And I think he will do a fantastic job. But maybe, just maybe, there are things that he could incorporate into his game or his captaincy that Rahane does or that Rohit does in limited overs that would make him even better that may, maybe I think that's the angle I'm trying to go down here, that if you could blend the two we could be in a better position I'm throwing Pant's name in the hat just put it out there <laughs> no I don't think Pant's a captain I'm afraid I'm not, I'm not going down that road Pant becomes captain <clears throat> and we go back to the uh, early or the mid Bayless era of uh, throwing the bat at everything and going at five runs and over in test cricket and I tell you what the, it would be richer for the viewers if that were to happen. What do you think, Ollie? Who would you go for if you were in, in India? Would you pick Rahane as captain or would you pick Cody or would you pick someone else I, other than Pant? I Pant, would. He's a, he's a man who's <laughs> with 100 thrown through. He won't, see, won't have any of this five-day cricket. He wants every match to be three days and be ploughed through at six and over. Well, I'd prefer Rahane as captain. That's my answer. But it'd be too weird a power shift to have Kohli in that side not being captain. As simple as that. If, yeah. if they didn't have the experiences that they both had, I think, yeah, you know, when I make my test debut for India, I'd much rather have Rahane put his arm around me than Kohli shouting at me. <laughs> no, I think you've hit the nail on the head. The, the, the impracticality of it is the biggest thing that you couldn't practically have Kohli as not captain in this team. And I think, I think he's going to retire from cricket as captain. You know, there's no way he's going to play under anybody else now. You know, I think the best case scenario we could hope for maybe is that at least in test matches or in one day cricket, well, in both, you know, in test matches with Bahane or one limited overs with Rohit, he co-opts a little bit more of their strategies and maybe they gives them a little bit more influence as vice captains. Coley strikes me as the sort of person who'd be quite headstrong. Do you think he'd be open to to change and to accepting different kind of leadership styles? He is very headstrong and. Do you know what? I'm inclined to say yes because... Have you met him? You seem to know an awful lot about the bloke. <laughs> oh, look, the guy lives his life in the media. I know everything about the bloke. I've watched enough Instagram live videos of him doing Saved interviews with... Saved enough to your bookmarks. <laughs> yeah, let's call it bookmarks. <laughs> no, look, I, I think 
I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he would do what's best for Indian cricket, not including giving up the captaincy. But I think he would, you know, if he sat at home, realised that maybe there's parts of his captaincy style that need to be improved on, you know, given what he's seen with Rahane, I think he would do it because I, I think he has in his career shown that he has got the capacity to learn and improve. And I think he cares about Indian cricket enough that he will do what's best for Indian cricket. Has Bumra come through under his captaincy? When would yeah, Bumra, Bumra was, yeah, Bumra de- debuted in South Africa, I think when Kohli was captain, yeah. I think he did. So he, I suppose he's an example of someone who's under his tutelage, not that Coley's set an example with the ball, but under his tutelage has gone on to be uh, probably one of the best in the world, if not the best. I mean, look, Richard Pant came, under, came in under his tutelage as well and has done fantastically well. I, I think, I don't think Coley's the one that criticises Pant as much. I think it's Ravi Shastri and the management more so. That's conjecture, but I think I think that's the case. He's, he's, he's nurtured the fast bowling attack, Coley. The, the fast bowling attack that India have got in Ishan Sharma, Mohamed Shami and Jasper Bumrah has come under Kohli and partly due to the change in fitness levels and professionalism, but he's nurtured that really. So it's it, but by no means has Kohli done a negative job at all. And uh, as captain, I, you know, like I said, I just think there are certain certain aspects he could he could learn from Rahane and Rohit, maybe. Well, I don't want to rock the boat, but I mean, India were just better without him in the side. I'm not sure you're rocking that cruise liner with your little uh, pinky finger. I don't think it's going to have too much of an effect. <laughs> no, I mean, if it did, I, they'd play much better. It's it, it, There's absolutely no debate there. India are a better side with him in the lineup, whether he's captain or not. India are a stronger batting unit, so I'm not going to hear any of that nonsense, Bertram. I know what your I know what your intentions are with nine tests against well, for England against India say- this year. You won't be saying that after a nine nil defeat, will you? <laughs> defeat to <laughs> England. Quake, we'll see quaking at the uh, at the mild mannered pads of Joe Root. <laughs> That's another guy whose captaincy's under doubt. <laughs> anyway, that seems to be a suitable point to end. Thank you very much uh, for listening to The Wrongen and uh, make sure you uh, drop us a review and a subscribe as it's always much appreciated. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.